Hello and welcome to Blowing Cartridges, the gaming podcast where we dive into the issues surrounding gaming culture and the games themselves. I'm Brendan Tan, and as always, I'm joined by my good friend and co-host, Zach Clark. So, Zach, how's it all hanging? Uh, It's towards the end of 2023. Uh, We're in the business end of the season. How are you feeling? Yeah, good. It's, uh, you know, it's it's spring in theory here where we are in Australia. Uh, it's a, you know, in Melbourne, it's a bit like God's or the, or mother nature, whoever you personally believe dictates nature, uh, <laughs> is, is rolling a D20 because we go from like the usual rain to hail to sunshine, uh, every, every hour, uh, at the moment, which is, which is good. Uh, so, you know, just to <laughs> keeps the spice of life there. <laughs> Yeah, so we always have to be rolling those D20s, don't we? And uh, that, I think, I, I assume that was an uh, intended tangent to open up our conversation for today's episode, Zach, because I know you're very capable of uh, of achieving those, of pulling that off. You have pretty good stats in that, uh, I think, <laughs> in that category. I, I don't know, would that be a charisma check? Probably. Yeah, so probably let's, a let's charisma say you- check. Let's say you have pretty high uh, stats in charisma, and uh, so today's we are talking, we're diving back into RPGs, because we did, I think about 12 months ago, a bit longer than 12 months ago, we did an episode on JRPGs, which perhaps we will touch on a little bit of how that terminology has become a bit more contested over the last 12 months. I think, I think we did talk a little bit about that in that episode, but that might be worth as a jumping off point, because we are talking about what some people call Western RPGs, which are sometimes, well, or computer RPGs viewed as the counterpart of Japanese role-playing games or whatever Eastern role-playing games or whatever term um, you may or may not prefer. And uh, today we have a guest with us to help us dive into this particular topic and talk about all things Western RPG, all things computer RPG. So thanks, Mario, for joining us today. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you, Brendan and Zach. And I know I lied to you and said the topic was going to be about like what's it like growing up with an iconic video game character name, but uh, we just thought you know we'd spring on you an actual different topic last minute. So apologies for that. <laughs> well, um, it's a good thing I have somewhat of a bit of knowledge on this topic. So yeah, yeah. What listeners don't realize is how we determine pod um, episodes on this podcast is we just roll dice and we'll have a board yeah. and each number will. Uh, correspond with a particular topic and we have to update this board uh, after every episode of course but that's really how we come up with topics every week we've missed is when we roll a one so just blame the dice (laughs) (laughs) yeah we critical fail yeah um but yeah mario uh because most people maybe no one really knows who you are um but i've known you for a long time and i have associated a lot of your game playing as this genre like i know you play other genres but I think since I've known you, like, you've probably picked up or tried most or at least a lot of the, what I'd call the tentpole releases. And to be fair, like, we're all, I'm going to say, relatively young. You know, I, I, I've i hit the big 3-0. So, you know, you, listener, you gauge what you determine that is. But um, there's obviously a lot of, uh, you know, as we'll touch on it, entries in this genre from the early eight nineties, even eighties, right? Which which we maybe haven't experienced. But at least since our lifetime, Mario, I'd say you've you've touched on a lot of the major ones from, you know, the the two thousands, two thousand and tens, you know, up until even, you know, recently I'd say is my my view. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I mean 
uh, some of the more recent games, the Western ones, I mean, you can't talk about this topic without Baldur's Gate 3 that's recently come out as well, which is uh, sounds like I'm going to plug it. But if you don't have it already, buy it. This isn't sponsored. <laughs> uh, yet? Not sponsored um, yet? No. <laughs> but Come yeah, on, I can definitely say I would probably have played some of um, the biggest uh, or bigger Western RPGs. You know, you've got your Mass Effect or Bioware games, uh, Mass Effect, Dragon Age series, Fallout, you know, Bethesda Fallout games, uh, and obviously uh, Oblivion as well. So. How about yourself, Zach? Where do you see your entry point into this genre? Do you have a long association yeah. with it, or is it one you've sort of been on the outside of? Yeah, probably probably more on the outside. Uh, I think where I started to get more exposed to it was as a teenager, but it wasn't even through, like, what I'd say traditional CRPGs. It was probably starting off with mods to, like, Warcraft 3, which, which Warcraft 3 in itself isn't a CRPG, but... Some of the mods make semi-CRPG-style games. Um, God, there was something Tomb that I... Balan's Tomb, I think I remember playing that one quite a lot. Um, I yeah, mean, to be I think fair, I'm much, Yes. It, it's a very condensed, like, quote-unquote, like, RPG. It's, it's only maybe, like, an hour or two to get to the final boss. But, like, that's sort of where I'd start to dabble. And then, yeah, uh, you know, as I expanded my game playing outside of, of Nintendo systems, you know, I gave... You know, Skyrim, a, a world, for example. So those Bethesda games, uh, and you know, I've dabbled in it a lot. It's only probably been a handful of ones that have really clicked with me. I'd say uh, compared to JRPGs, and you know, it'd be interesting to talk about why that's the case as we go through the episode. Brendan, I'd say you'd also be fairly well versed, though, in the genre. Certainly, I think more than than I would be. Probably more than yourself, Zach, but I don't think as much as Mario. So I'm I'm aware of all these games. I've played, I've dabbled here and there, but there's some some of the bigger tentpole ones I've still have yet to play and are on my very very menacing and large backlog. Like I still haven't gotten into the Mass Effect trilogy. I've never played Skyrim though. I have I did play Oblivion growing up, and I think my earliest memories are actually somewhat related to Mario's plug in that. One of my friends growing up was a couple of years older than me, and uh, my first experience playing, I guess, if we're going to use the term computer RPGs, was with Diablo and Diablo 2, but he also had um, Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. So I did I did play a little bit of those, or for memory, watch him play those games from an early age growing up, and then I really enjoyed Diablo and Diablo 2. I wasn't allowed to buy those games because of the demonic imagery. Uh, thank, <laughs> thanks, Catholic mum. Uh, so instead, I ended up getting Dungeon Siege, which was sort of kind of analogous to Diablo 2. There's a lot of similarities between Dungeon Siege and Diablo 2. And that was really the first CRPG I played and really fell in love with the genre there. And I'd argue that, yes, I played a lot of the other big games in the in the genre, like your Dragon Age Origins and Witcher and the like. Most of the two th- mid to late two thousands, early twenty tens was my gaming time was taken up with World of Warcraft, which may may kind of have some CRPG Western RPG elements, but it's sort of its own thing at the same time. I think we'd all agree. Yeah. So, what what's the latest? I guess firstly, what's the latest uh, Western RPG both of you have played, and then I guess what's your favorite? <laughs> you would say. 
I think we've probably all got the same answer, I'm guessing, which is Baldur's Gate 3. Not that I finished Baldur's it. Baldur's Gate um, 3. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I haven't yeah, finished it either. I'm in a I'm take I'm approaching it like a D&D campaign with three friends and one of our party members went off to Japan for a month, so we haven't really played uh since then since we were waiting for him to come back and now I myself am a bit busy with different things and we all have difficult sh- shifting schedules to uh sort out to actually plan game sessions. So it is a bit like rolling D20s to figure out whether we're actually going to be successful in lining up the session or not. But I'd say, yeah, that is the most recent one I've played. Yeah. And fa- yeah. favourite is a difficult question. And I think we'll probably, I think yeah. maybe this is worth revisiting towards the end of the episode when we've talked a bit of more course. about the yeah. different yeah, genre dynamics that are like. And, and we can think a bit more about that because I think there are a lot of different aspects and components to think about when you think about, well, what makes a good, computer rpg what makes a good western rpg and w- w- what term do you think we should use for this genre because i think it is a bit because uh, we could just call them rpgs but i think the intent of this episode and what we're talking about is we are talking about a, a particular type of role-playing game and i know we did as zach was there as well we had a we had a similar conversation when we talked about japanese rpgs and at the time, we did still, even though there are issues around using that as a term, we did, we still settled on that as a, I guess, suitable genre label because it does express a particular type of gameplay design and a particular type of mechanics that are in a game. And yes, it can be very different games in the broader genre, but it does, I guess, it does denote a particular feel. What, what do you two think? Yeah, definitely. I, I think that for Japanese RPGs, You've got, I mean, you've got the Persona series, which Persona is just fantastic, and Final Fantasy. They tend to have, well, the art style is definitely very different to your Western RPGs. When you think about Western RPGs, I mean, just Fallout, uh, Skyrim, it sort of has a bit more of a grit to it that Japanese RPGs don't tend to have. So I guess that's probably something that I uh, I consider with Western RPGs. I'm not sure whether it's a, I don't know if it's a cultural thing or not, but that's something that I definitely notice between the two genres. Yeah, I think, so to the question of like, how do I define them? I mean, I personally always went with Western and I think it's just because I probably heard JRPG before I heard CRPG. I don't think I've actually really encountered CRPG until recent years as a, as a terminology. And at that point, it felt weird to me when, like, I don't know, there's just something about, like, categorization in your brain where you're like, well, if one's defined by a geographic location, the other should be defined by a geographic location. Um, <laughs> it just makes sense. Um, but uh, so I probably stuck with that when I was delineating it as a, as a younger person. And also, it just it's also, in, in the same way, it's also still weird to now delineate either of them by, by geography because... As we touched on in the JRPG episode, there are JRPGs. I'm using quotation marks. I realize podcast listeners can't see my fingers. Uh, but that are this made. This is an audio uh, podcast, Zach. Yes, it is audio. Yes, uh, but there are, you know, as we said, there are effectively JRPGs, particularly in the indie space, uh, being made in the West, and vice versa. There'd be, you know, probably less, but I'm sure there are some quote unquote CRPG Western RPGs made in Japan or just the East in general. 
So geographies is a bit silly, but at the same time, calling them computer RPGs is no longer really logical either. Because again, like let's look at Baldur's Gate 3. Sure, did it get a head start on the PC a month before anything else? Yes, but it is you know on PS5 and it is on, well, not on Xbox yet, but it's, a, it's coming uh, after they settled that weird multiplayer uh, issue they had with the, the Series S and then got the permission from Microsoft to have some version disparity between the X and the S. So, you know, these days, you know, and even for a long time, I'd say most of the major computer RPGs, CRPGs have started to get console, you know, versions. Uh, not always day and date, but even, you know, like the Switch has Diablo 3, right? So that's that's kind of the world we live in these days. Uh, you know, it'd be like saying um, Diablo 1 was on the Game Boy is kind of like the equivalent um, back then. It just wasn't practical. Uh, <laughs> So neither of them feel great in in terms of the terminology, but um, yeah, for me, I sort of lean towards Western RPG, and I do agree with Mario. There's there's quite a few things that separate them for JRPGs, as you mentioned. Stylistically, there's one thing. Uh, for whatever reason, I always associate Western RPGs with a creator character, like almost always. Like I'm sure someone here will tell me about one that doesn't have a creator character, but but the majority do that I know. The Witcher. There we go, The Witcher. That's a good example. But I think it's like on the opposite end of the spectrum. I think JRPGs are maybe a bit more of a 50-50 split. There are a lot with creator characters, but there's a lot with a defined, you know, even if it's a blank slate, it's a defined character. Again, you use, you know, Persona and Final Fantasy as examples, Mario. None of those, well, I shouldn't say none. I'm sure there is a Final Fantasy with a creator character like the MMOs, but like the majority of them have a, a, a defined, you're playing as a cloud you can name him Zach, and he doesn't really say much. So you can sort of picture what he, what he's like, and impose your own personal traits onto him in your in your head canon. But you know, it's still cloud. I don't get to give them different colored hair or you know put them in whatever outfit I want. Versus, yeah, the majority of Western RPGs that I play, I yeah, you get to be the Zach you want to be, or whoever you might not make your own self. You might make a your own character, and you know, I'm sure we'll get into why, but um. I mean, there's a certain tabletop RPG franchise we've all mentioned already, but I'm sure we're going to have to touch on it in more detail soon. But that's, I'm sure it all goes back to the roots of what that series is and what it, what it you know, does in that space. Yeah, I guess the only thing, while you were talking, Zach, I was thinking, oh, are there any Japanese RPGs that don't, that do let you create your character, rather? And I'm just thinking maybe the only ones are the MMO RPGs. I'm just thinking of Genshin Impact, uh, although that's a bit of a gacha system. Uh, yeah. so the Fire Emblem games, if we count them as JRPGs, the newer ones do let you create your own character. Well, do, do oh, they, though? Right. They're kind of more like you pick a boy or a girl, right, in a sense? But, but there's customised But I guess it, yeah. it depends on what you mean by create your own character because there's customization in there. You can yeah. change the look of the character. But yeah. yes, you're right in that your character is inhabiting a particular space in that narrative and in that game, and you can't really break out of it. Whereas, yeah, it's it's that, not like a, yeah. I guess an Oblivion or a Skyrim where you create your own character. And yes, there's a storyline and a quest that you can go on, and sort of everyone that plays that game will go on the same storyline and quests. You're you're making your own experience. You're doing you can. That's sort of only part of the game. That's not the entire experience. So I, I, I do get your point. <laughs> yeah, yep. exactly. I mean, I think it's one of those things where, like, 
you can't be definitive on either side and say zero JRPGs have this and zero Western RPGs have that, which is some of the challenge with defining the difference, right? Because you want to have like hard facts, like a hundred percent of the time, this is a trait of one or the other, when in reality, that's not going to be the situation. And it tends to be almost like a, again, like a character sheet. It's like, what, what boxes in the character sheet have you ticked up the most? <laughs> Thus, this is what you're, you're going to be either a JRPG or a Western RPG. <laughs> well, I think that's a pretty interesting point as well you've made, Zach. You know, regards to character sheet, that probably just brings it back to sort of more of a D&D kind of, you know, Western approach to gaming, whereas I'm sure Japanese uh, games or maybe a better term would be Asian uh, games because there's a lot of games coming from, you know, different parts of Asia now. They probably follow different styles i think that's a good point to have a bit of a tangent because i think it is it's undoubtedly the origin to western rpgs is your dungeons and dragons that's where a lot of the mechanics came from that's where even there's a lot of video games that take the mechanics of dungeons and dragons and will translate them into a video game like Baldur's gate series like Baldur's gate 3 which we've already talked about where they've taken well which edition of dungeons and dragons is it I, i'm i've don't really know at this point. It's version five yes, that they've yeah. taken. Yeah, fifth yeah. edition. They've I taken fifth edition in the Baldur's Gate three. I think Baldur's Gate one and two was second edition, but yeah, correct me if I'm wrong. But <laughs> anyway, <laughs> each of these was... games have taken editions of Dungeon, uh, effectively Dungeons and Dragons into the game. Even something that you wouldn't expect, like well, Knights of the Old Republic, took Dungeons and Dragons mechanics and formulas into a video game, into a Star Wars RPG. And that's how it was created. Whereas, not to go to into the topic too much, because well, if you wanted to hear us talk about JRPGs, definitely download that episode and listen to that, listeners. But Japanese RPGs very much began influenced by your wizardries, influenced by well RPGs from the West. So, sure, those RPGs were influenced by Dungeons and Dragons. So you could say that Japanese RPGs were also, by extension, influenced by Dungeons and Dragons, but I think they, instead of taking Dungeons and Dragons as the source, they took these other video games as a source. So that's why Dragon Quest is, original Dragon Quest is very much like wizardry in terms of the art style, in terms of, um, well, and that's why you have a whole genre of um, JRPGs that are your dun- so-called dungeon crawlers, that first, per- lack of a better term, that first person perspective of a dungeon design, which harkens back to those early games so i think that's where the division really starts yeah i'd say in some ways it's again i kind of compare like if you think of the every rpg like a, a version of a DD campaign a lot of jrpgs feel like they're retelling someone's existing campaign with their existing character because yes even if you might get to customize them whatever you know you're the role of the hero you're doing the hero thing or you know you just you're sort of like a bit more fixed you're kind of already defined uh whereas a lot of western ones tend to you know to more degrees i'd say recently just thanks to technology than the older ones but they always try to push a bit more to like actually it's it's your character and you can define what they are in this world and yes there is probably a story and it's got some common elements no matter which way you want to portray your character um but there is you know like there are so many as we'll get into with with like the good versus evil mechanics. Um, and again, that's probably more common now than it was in the nineties because uh, you know it's just 
easier to have that many options on a, on a PC versus uh, if you tried to do a really expensive RPG back then, you probably needed like a, a supercomputer just to just to have more than one campaign strand. But uh, that's what I that's a big part of the vibe for me is like I don't often feel like even if the world starts out telling me I'm maybe a hero, I often find that I can quickly deviate to. Mm, no, I'm not the hero. I'm actually the bad guy, or I'm kind of ambiguous. Sometimes I'm good, sometimes I'm not. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and not to be blasé or conform to stereotypes, but I think that is another one of the division lo- dividing lines there in that Japanese RPGs generally, I guess as, as a stereotype goes, it is, it's, it's in some ways like a movie. There is a set narrative that you are going to follow and everyone who plays that game will go along the same journey, experience the same story loops and narrative points and and of and twists and turns of the story leading up to a generally a final boss fight. You defeat that, you finish the game. Whereas your more traditional, or not even traditional, but your I guess more contemporary Western RPGs, particularly of the last twenty years, this concept of choice is integral to the experience. Uh, and I'd argue very much starting from the first Deus Ex game, this idea that the choices you make for your character can, uh, I guess, dramatically, drastically change your experience playing the game, can drastically change the story, can determine which characters live, which characters die, and a whole range of different other variables are are live. Uh, they aren't set in stone, so each playthrough can be different. And I, in some ways... You can argue that it very much it stresses replayability. It encourages people to talk to their friends and explain and compare notes as to oh, I pl- I just played this game in this particular way and I saw all these different things happen and they can then compare their experience and say well ah oh, when when you killed that character I actually saved them and it it, it resulted in all these different things happening as a result and. One of the reasons I'd argue why Baldur's Gate Three has been so successful is it's built of, it's built around that as a as a structure that I've had a lot of conversations with different people who have played Baldur's Gate and they all have different small small medium and large stories about different things they did different decisions they made or just their group doing shenanigans and actually because they threw a sticky bomb in a room when they weren't supposed to or did something just off the cuff that it, it dramatically changes the experience. And in many ways, you don't really get those experiences in Japanese RPGs, Eastern RPGs. And I think that's why there is that dividing line, even if it can be quite, I guess, sometimes not as not as strong as others, but there is, there's definitely a line running through the two. Yeah, definitely. I think, I mean, the choices matter. I don't know about both of you, but it really sucks me in when I know that I can change you know the whole landscape of the game i can change the atmosphere i can change what happens to key characters as well it just makes you feel more invested in it i just love being able to talk to you know pretty much every single npc and for something meaningful to happen as well i think that yeah sometimes it can be lost on on other games but also you know, with saying that Western RPGs are sort of like this, but also it's not it's not relevant to every single Western RPG. Obviously, there are some where we feel like, oh, I did this thing, I killed this person, and it was just inconsequential to the end game. 
But yeah, definitely Baldur's Gate does a really good job at making you feel like every single thing, every action that you take has some sort of consequence. Another game I would say that, and I think Zach and I talked about this recently as well, is Disco Elysium. That's a really good example of a lot of different branches, a lot of different ways in which you can solve puzzles, I guess, or mini puzzles, and you can play it, I guess, in whatever way suits your personality best. Um, Cyberpunk 2077? 2077, yeah. 2077, yeah. Uh, With the new expansion as well that came out, it's really uh, changed a lot of some of those earlier bugs and has made it you know a much more enjoyable experience so those kinds of games as well they let you go on different tangents you can play them a lot of different ways you don't have to stick to your stock standard build uh that it just really enhances the experience overall playing i think one thing that's interesting with the three games you just mentioned is you have D, which is the probably you're very tropey, or not D&D, Baldur's Gate, but it's a D&D literal branded game. But you're very tropey, yeah, dungeons, dragons, gnomes, you know, elves, all that kind of stuff. And then on the flip side, you've got two others like Cyberpunk, which is, yeah, again, more shootery. Obviously, Cyberpunk is a is is not just a brand, it's a whole genre of, of fiction. Uh, and, you know, if you're not familiar, it's just like the future where things went kind of shit. Uh, <laughs> uh, basically, uh, well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, and uh, then lastly, Disco Elysium, which probably I haven't played. It's probably technically in a somewhat cyberpunky, isn't it? It's like somewhat futuristic, Ooh, or am I? I, or maybe I not just modern. The elements, they're probably a bit more. Yes, it's definitely more modern. But I would say a lot of the yeah. elements are quite similar to D and D. Um, okay, but the the elements are, but the thematics. It's a detective game, effectively, right? Yes, it's not. It's not detective. again elves and and wizards and witches and and you know. No, uh, it's not quite like that. Yeah, it, yeah, it that, is. You're a detective. Yeah, which I think is cool because you know if we go back to what a lot of CRPGs are, there were there was probably a good stretch where there were just tons really based on fantasy, whether that was again directly yeah. Dungeons and Dragons or it was their own made up ape of it or it's you know we got the lord of the rings license so we can use that which is still very similar <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and i think that's that's where a lot of people's perceptions of rpgs came from particularly in that late 90s early 2000s period where all the games seemed to be inspired by well dungeons and dragons and through dungeons and dragons or tolkien lord of the rings and so you get your orcs and elves, you get your goblins, you get your orcs, and that's in all the all the games you can think of. Or even if they don't have those elements, effectively you're in a Western medieval setting. So like your um, Dungeon Siege, like your well, more recent game, but like Kingdom Come Deliverance, it's this, well, which is sort of a historical RPG. So that's taking it to well, the very extent of what an RPG is. It's sort of this western medieval world and there's a lot of japanese rpgs and well like your final fantasies that very much are inspired by this western medieval canon and stylistic choices and aesthetics so i think it is interesting that I w- it's not necessarily a recent phenomenon because you go back to no. games like wasteland and fallout and the like but there's been this more dystopian modern take 
an approach on RPGs as well. And, well, you've already mentioned the pen and paper variety, like your cyberpunks. Like, I was also thinking of Shadowrun, which is a bit more, it's more modern, but with fantasy elements. So very sci-fi. But there's always been this, in some ways, a division between sci-fi and fantasy, but you can have an RPG that either takes sci-fi or fantasy tropes and elements and create the game. And I'd argue that probably, it's probably more than ever, you're seeing more sci-fi RPGs, well, to the same degree as you're seeing fantasy Mm. RPGs, because it did, I don't know if you agree, but aside from those, I guess, exceptions, like your Deus Ex, like your Fallouts, like your, well, Knights of the Old Republic, it did very much seem to be a, a Western medieval fantasy tropes that drove RPGs as a genre. Yeah, I think that's probably a fair assessment. I mean, I'm thinking about, I guess, Studio Bioware, which probably produced, I mean, I believe they were involved in the original um, Baldur's Gate 1 and 2. And um, uh, they've also created Dragon Age Origins. So I think there was a bit of a tendency to push the more fantasy style um, D&D games. But recently there has been more and more of that futuristic i guess it just becomes harder and harder to make games that if if they're copies of a previous game why would i like why would i play that what makes that stand out whereas if it's a new game a new concept then i'm more drawn to it i mean Baldur's. we keep talking about Baldur's gate but it's just so relevant and it's just hit all the charts but it's just such an exception to, to gameplay of what what an outstanding game is. But that's the kind of example where nowadays you kind of need to go above and beyond to produce a game that really excites people, really makes them want to play it um, compared to maybe back then where you could pull out something. And, and not to say that Dragon Age Origins is... A bad game by any means it's 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 it was one of my favorite games to play but to get to a good quality game that gets people wanting to play it you need to push the boundaries more and more so i guess people are exploring different themes to try and um see where they can sort of break into the market well i mean yeah i'd say like we know there is a new dragon age that's been in development hell for a long time uh but yes and they've uh, recently sacked all the qa team so i think that's going to be a brilliant game yeah well i bet let's let's even pretend it is gonna you know be solid it's it's interesting i mean we talked a bit about this on another episode but uh if you want to tackle the fantasy rpg genre it's going to be hard to do so in a post boulders great three world right because it it really you either need to do something very unique or something very yeah you've just got to really like just knock it out the park to that level right because you know other than people who are craving constantly new experiences in that very specific field for a lot of people who maybe you know dove into Baldur's Gate 3 because it's scoring you know 90 95 whatever on Metacritic and they're um they're just you know taking the plunge they're not necessarily going to invest in a you know 80s 70s scoring rpg set in a fantasy world because why would they you know that's that's the challenge that they're going to have and i think that need again to try and do something more unique through thematics again i think disco elysium again i really want to play it i just haven't yet but uh that's a good like there is 
I don't think another RPG that's that's a detective one that I know of. There probably maybe there is, but not to to that level. And uh, despite it also just being a highly regarded and seemingly very well crafted game, there's probably space for more detective RPGs. Whether that's you know Disco Elysium two or uh, others taking a stab at it, because it's not as crowded. Uh, you don't have to just be the peak to really stand out and and succeed anymore. Versus, I mean, yeah, like. Could you? I couldn't name like a major Western RPG house. Let's call it like one of the temples that doesn't have a fantasy game in their in their library, right? Like Bethesda have a fantasy game. You know, Bioware. You've mentioned mm-hmm. obviously Larian. Um, I mean, like they're they're probably the big ones that come to mind. But even the the sort of other tier ones, like you know, previously. Obsidian, uh, you know, in, I would have said in exile. Yeah, every single one has as a fantasy IP in their in their in their book, um, but they don't all have necessarily all the other genres. I'd say they're probably getting there with sci-fi. Probably all of them have a sci-fi one now. Bethesda finally ticked that box this year with Starfield, for example, uh, and obviously Bioware had a long time ago with Mass Effect, uh, and in some ways probably because it was not the first. Well, I guess they ticked it first with. Knights of the Old Republic, sorry, I forgot that, that that was Bioware as well. But either way, the point is like they um that's probably the second most saturated, but there's space for other thematics that you could do. And I think that's what I'm kind of excited to see is how people go beyond like your tentpole yeah, fantasy the, the or sci-fi. Correct. Yeah. yeah. I guess twisting and inverting what people expect from when they hear RPG, you are like your mind will instantly go to either sci-fi or fantasy as we've discussed. Like that's, there's in some ways sort of irreparably melded to the genre. And yes, you have your dystopian modern ones, like your fallouts, like Deus Ex, that in some ways, I guess, go against that um, prevailing binary. There still is that binary. So Mm. I, I do agree that it's exciting when people attempt to subvert the binary and do, different interesting things even if it is just taking on a more modern approach to games and i mentioned it i think i've mentioned it on an episode sometime this year but at the start of the year i played alpha protocol which has a lot of different (laughs) issues from a technical and mechanical point of view and had a troubled development i believe and very much that late 2000s 360 ps3 era of um well, I guess development problems where costs started going up and develop and publishers started to get a bit antsy about what games to support and what games not to support. But that is a that that is one of my favorite RPGs because it does it it does something interesting. It does something that no one else has done. It it effectively creates a James Bond RPG and no one else has attempted that since, which I think is a, a real shame. But it, it it are experiences like that that people remember and people well, I, I think People will flock to if they're given a re- if it if it's good enough if it if there's a reason for people to flock to it they will because it's something new and different and yes gamers do generally fall into those categories of either you want something new or different or you want something familiar and comfortable and that's always going to be the case there's going to be there will always be a market for sci-fi and fantasy RPGs and that's a good thing but I think additionally there will be a market for ones that push the boundaries of what what it means to be an RPG from a narrative and aesthetical point of view so what would you say is more important the story to an rpg or the gameplay mechanics i personally argue that it does depend on the game and actually 
let's scratch that. I think you need to do one of them well. And yes, that might, you might in some ways of doing one of them well and not doing the other one as well, you might cut off a complete section of of a player base because some people do prioritize gameplay over narrative and story and vice versa. So you take a series like Diablo where, yes, Diablo has a story, but people don't really play Diablo for the story. Well, the people I've talked to and the people I've seen play Diablo it's not really one of the reasons why they play it. They play it for the gameplay. They play it for that, the the fe- the good feelings you get when you collect loot and like just how the game feels and they enjoy that aspect of the experience. And then you have games like, which I finally finished, I think in about 2018, 2019, uh, the original Witcher, which the original Witcher plays terribly. It, the gameplay, the gameplay mechanics aren't particularly good. The, the combat animations are some of the most farcical things I've ever seen in a video <laughs> game where Geralt Riviera is sort of just like jumping when he's swinging his sword and they try to, I guess, put into the game that idea of, oh, the Witcher has like a finesse style of combat. It's like a dancer, but it, it doesn't particularly work. But why that game is worth playing is for the story. It has, a, it has an interesting world. You want to experience the the narrative of it. There's a there's a payoff at the end, and it if you if you enjoy video game stories, if you enjoy narratives of well well done narratives in a gaming setting, then that is a game to play. So I think you need to do one of those things well to be a successful RPG. And of course, the ones that everyone will talk about and always remember and speak of highly do both well. But it, I think it does. They they cater to different audiences, and then you can go into games like your Skyrim and Oblivion, where it it's sort of you can argue that it's not really gameplay or narrative. It's that idea of exploring a world and a world yeah. building. Well, and and your earlier comment, Mario, about choices matter that attracts people to it. So I think there's different there's there's different building blocks to what makes a particular RPG good or not. That you effectively need to do. If you if you build use the building blocks to build one of the edifices really really well, then you'll have a successful popular game. And I think it, so. It's it's hard to say whether you need to do one or the other better or not to have a yeah have a I guess quote unquote good RPG. Yeah, I think it, I think with that? the narr- the narrative, the key question is: Yeah, are you talking about the actual like through line story versus the world? Because I think this mm. is gonna I'm gonna make a hot take right now. Maybe it's not hot. I don't really read a lot of. <laughs> Uh, literary, literary discourse to know like what's a popular opinion but if I think of Lord of the Rings I don't think the actual quote-unquote like storyline of Lord of the Rings is necessarily that like interesting if you just purely looked at what happens in that I think what makes Lord of the Rings really good is it's the world they build around it and the lore and that makes it fascinating to me I think it's like really well structured but like Frodo's journey is kind of just like it kind of went the obvious conclusion. Like there was no real plot twist there. Um, there was no massive subversion. Maybe you could argue what happens with Gandalf is a bit of like, oh, he came back. Um, but that's that's about it. And you know, there's obviously holes like the whole uh, why the Griffins like why didn't they just fly there kind of thing. Uh, anyway, let's you know won't go into that too much. But I think that's kind of true of a lot of big. RPGs where the the core story isn't necessarily even that great. What I like is just being in the world and doing all of the side quests and learning about 
the people and just the laws and and and, and the law but both both law and lora <laughs> um of that world i think that's what makes it engaging and i'd say that tends more to the narrative side if we're going binary gameplay or narrative but like with any game the gameplay has to be at least functional right like even if you're a visual novel like you need to be a functional thing that isn't frustrating Mm. to to interact with so i think that's just kind of like the bar for video games base level yes yeah correct so Mm. we i think we all agree on that but yeah, I'd be keen to hear your thoughts, Mario, again, as someone who's played just way more of them than I have. <laughs> yeah, right. So it was interesting both, uh, I mean, when both of you were speaking, but I'll speak about one point Brendan made about the original Witcher. So I've played the original uh, Witcher before, and I have to say that I really enjoyed the game. I, it, I don't know what it is. It's almost as if that part of my brain that was playing <laughs> with the mechanics has just forgotten the clunkiness of it <laughs> because the story to me was just amazing that yes. I can o- overlook any of that clunkiness. I agree with Zach. It has to be playable to a certain extent. You don't want to be broken from that immersion with bugs and glitches and things like that. But if the story is engrossing, I want to be taken on a roller coaster ride of emotions. And if the game gets me there, then I can forgive more basic elements of gameplay. Yes, I agree. And personally, as a as a gamer, I do probably value and rate narrative and story above gameplay. So I, I'm similar, and it, it's it's sort of my same approach when it comes to J, um, JRPGs as well. Is that there are plenty of JRPGs where you read you read a review or you talk to someone about it, and they will say, "Oh." The mechanics and gameplay of this game are brilliant or really good, but like the narrative and story isn't really that good. It, it's sort of subpar. And the moment I hear that is the moment I'm, I, I generally think to myself, well, I'll probably just, I'll, I'll let that game go. I, I don't need to play that yeah. game then because I do, I want to go on a journey. I want to be surprised and amazed. I want to have those fun experiences. And in many ways, I can sort of take it or leave it, whether like I have agency deciding those like decisions that are made and the outcomes that sometimes that can be like empowering and I enjoy that, but I don't necessarily need that to enjoy the story if it's if it's designed well and developed well and there's there's payoffs there. Like, yes, the original Witcher to go back to that example, there is some element of agency. You can you can make decisions that do change some of the outcomes of the game, but at the same time, it, it is—it's a ride you're on. It is a bit of a roller coaster, a bit more so than a Dragon Age Origins or a or an Oblivion, where or a Skyrim, where well, not necessarily well, where it's more about exploring a world and doing what you want to do, or in Dragon Age Origins, where there are some major changes you can make. You can in, some characters can die depending on decisions you make, or end game story changes quite a bit as well. So. There's all those different dynamics of play, and I think that that is ultimately what makes, for me anyway, an RPG a compelling and interesting experience to to um, make your way through. Yeah, I really love Dragon Age Origins story as well. By the way, <laughs> oh, that's, so that's brilliant! And for many yeah. years, I, I know you mentioned it earlier, but I think for many years that was also yes. one of my favorite RPGs yeah. as well because it just yes, it takes a very 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 generic fantasy world it creates and like 
there's not really like yes, there's some spit. They they do put a bit of their own spin to it, but ultimately it is a generic fantasy world. But it, it's just it's executed really well, and there's some yeah. just great set pieces from the very beginning of the game to the end. It, I'd almost argue that out of nearly all the RPGs I've played, it's one of the most well paced because it throws you into the action at the very beginning from the very outset of the game. Like you're right into it and it just, it never lets up until the very end of that game. It's there's twists and turns along the way, of course, but it is, it's just go, go, go for the entire experience. And a lot of RPGs will have a slower start and it will sort of build up to something grand and epic, but Dragon Age very much is it's full tilt throughout the entire game. And, that is a, that is one of the reasons why it's always been one of my favourites. Yeah, uh, I guess for your viewers as well, there's no right or wrong answer to this question. If you really like gameplay mechanics and you only want to play games that have like the best mechanics in it, then that's not a wrong choice too. This is all personal preference, so um, don't feel attacked. <laughs> If we don't agree with what your personal opinions are. <laughs> yes, yeah, right. you can write us an email and tell us why we're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> well, while I agree with that, I do think it's probably not uncommon for narrative to be like the driving factor for people in this genre. Because again, if you think about the earlier games, there wouldn't have been a lot of like mechanics or gameplay, I should say, because they were just unable to be as complex as games are in in the modern age and it was probably heavily driven on narrative to carry you there to the end i would have thought again not having played anything from the 90s in the genre i don't think of and that's the same as dnd right like the actual like yes there is some like oh fun when you come up with a cool loophole through reading the rules and realizing if i do xyz i can like do something very cool but the mechanics aren't necessarily what's grabbing you it's the fun of like having a good dm make you a good story and you getting to have fun creating your own little character's story as well right like i feel like you know it's just it's intrinsic that narrative is a key part to um this genre versus like you know if you stripped that all away and just had something with i don't know like whatever like is considered or something <laughs> yeah correct or, or just something that's just just really bland but like has incredibly cool mechanics and systems i'm not sure like it'll hit a particular niche but i think it's a much smaller niche than if you go down the the story where it is my is my yeah. guess uh, we'll have to do a, a poll of 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 the the world and see if everyone agrees with us but that's that's my gut feel <laughs> And I, I do agree with you because I think you do need something, but it, and it can be minimalistic, it can be basic, but you need you need a raison d'etre, you need a reason why you're, I guess, inhabiting the world and playing it. Because if you even if you take something as simple as the original Final Fantasy, where it's you need to collect the crystals and defeat the great evil chaos, like that, that's it's a very basic narrative story. It's not my, it doesn't really go outside of that, but you have a reason, you have motivations and they can be as basic as that and then if you have if take a example from 15 years later look at the original pokemon game which i know you and i both loved uh zach that you wanted to defeat the elite four and catch them all like this and yes there's team rocket yes there's some other things going on in the world but you wouldn't you wouldn't really describe the pokemon games i know some people argue some of the later games like black and white have really good stories and that's that's a conversation and topic for another day but those are games where 
it is a mix of, of gameplay and story. And I'd argue the gameplay of Pokemon probably does edge out the narrative and story for why people enjoy playing those games. There's other there's other factors at play that make them compelling mm. experiences. But what makes an RPG an RPG? You do you need to have both elements to varying degrees, mm. but they have to be there. You can't just well, I guess it, it it'd be like saying is a game like Vampire Survivors an RPG where there is completely no story. I, I I'd say that's an arcade game. That's not really like, yeah. And and I think mm. that's what when it comes down to what makes an RPG an RPG, the gameplay mechanics can differ to a great degree now more than ever. They, yes, in decades past, you'd say, well, uh, if it's turn-based, it's an RPG. If it's turn-based combat, but there's now action up. Most, particularly Western computer RPGs, most are real-time. A lot of them mm. can be first-person shooters. Is The gameplay mechanics do, don't define the genre as clearly as they might have in the past. There, there are other factors at play that make an RPG an RPG. That's a good maybe pivot point actually to the fact that we have these like splintering subgenres, right of of these western rpgs you know like if you took just a few clips of video from a, a bunch of games in this genre and showed them to a to a novice they'd probably misclassify them right like if i put you know some some mass effect uh and then i put some um dragon age you know some people might go oh yeah mass effect that's that looks like a shooter or you know like um depending on what clips i pick of course uh um but you could easily see someone making that mistake if they just looked at it at a glance and not think there's any intrinsic connection in genres between that and it's you know dragon age brother effectively i'd be curious mario do you have like a style that you prefer like whether it's you know your looting ones like Diablo or, again, your maybe action combat ones or your turn-based, like, again, uh, Baldur's Gate's very turn-based, or, again, like, you like the ones that are shooters, like, again, you to an extent, Fallout um, and, and Mass Effect. Or Borderlands probably technically fits that as well. Yeah, there's, I mean, there's so many great games out there. Um, we're lucky to live in the time that we do. I would say, though, if I was to pick a particular, I guess, favorite kind um it would be something a bit more like i'm gonna say real time uh dragon age origins style Uh, as much as i love Baldur's gate i really i I just think that having everything happen simultaneously and getting your getting uh what's it's different kinds of brain power isn't it Baldur's Gate is more tactical, kind of, you have to really plan your moves ahead, a bit like chess, whereas something like Dragon Age, Mass Effect, you mentioned, um, it's more of a flexibility on the move or Cyberpunk 2077. You kind of have to take those decisions as they happen in the moment and decide what your best move is. So it feels a bit more urgent. There's a bit more pressure in what you're, what you're doing, what you're playing. So I definitely enjoy those kinds of games a bit more compared to yeah your the other uh types that you mentioned yeah in many ways it's and it's also why in my mind i often will differentiate jrpgs and western computer rpgs from each other because if you ask me that question about jrpgs i would say i prefer turn-based i like that level of tactical feeling and i guess decision making in that particular setting it's why Fire Emblem is one of my favorite um, game series out there, franchises. I, I I like that style of play, but 
when it comes to Western RPGs, I, I do agree with you that I do like that that more fast paced on the on the run thinking that you have to or that you experience from a gameplay perspective. And I I really have um, enjoyed Cyberpunk. I haven't played it for about a year because I've been waiting for all the patches and Phantom Liberty to release to get back into it. So perhaps over the Christmas break, I'll get back. I'll, I'll really get back into that and enjoy that experience again. But I do like that more frenetic gameplay. I think I think we've seen over the last 10, 15 years that taking third-person shooter or first-person shooter mechanics into an RPG works really well. Like, in some ways, the gameplay can be a bit repetitive and there can be some issues if it's not executed well, but they they do mesh together really well and a lot better than, I think, the detractors thought because from memory, if you go back... About if you go back 10, 15 years, it was a real divide. And I, I think that divide has mostly gone now that people are happy with either or. And yes, you'll always have you always have the breed of gamer that prefers that more tactical approach when it comes to a um, computer RPG. They'll prefer the Baldur's Gate 3 approach. They'll think Dragon Age Origins was the only good Dragon Age because it had that tactical combat yeah turn-based option there that they took away from dragon age 2 and inquisition but i think that sort of that that division is fading which overall i think is a good thing as as long as there's still those experiences there available for both types of players and and i honestly think there is because you still have plenty of games like pathfinder um kingmaker wrath of the righteous i think those were the two games you have um well the pillars of eternity you still have those isometric RPGs that do have a bit more of a tactical approach to them inherent to the gameplay design. So my view is always as long as there's as long as there's all types to cater all all preferences, which I know can be a bit of a difficult task to pull off because there's always more market forces inherent to the capitalist system we all uh, reside in, which I know we, we do like to drop in references of the capitalist system now and then in this <laughs> podcast, don't we, Zach? But uh, I, I think Look, as long as variety is good, <laughs> cyberpunk. Yeah, I think ultimately variety is good, and I think there's not there's not really going to be anyone that contests that point unless oh. they are of that mindset of oh, all games that come out should be games I like, and otherwise the the medium is broken. No, I agree. As long as in multiplayer ones, you can set like a timer for your friends so that they don't like have to be subject to their analysis paralysis on their term. Uh, Definitely hasn't happened to us recently with someone that just takes way too long. I think reading through all the options. Anyway, sorry. That was was a dig. (laughs) Uh, It's either I hope that person doesn't listen to the podcast or I hope they do. (laughs) We'll see. Um, But but that's a a sort of I've, I've... tried a tangent also a bit there uh it might also be worth talking about like multiplayer with these because obviously for a long time just again technical limitations these games were a solely single player experience and then you know it was still ages ago but they eventually opened up to to multiplayer whether that's you know two or three four people in the same world and of course uh you know the mmo uh burgeoning out of this as well yeah any thoughts or experiences about like particularly strong multiplayer Western RPGs either of you have played. Uh, I might start with Mario only because I can pretty much guess what Brendan's going to be. So we'll, I'm more curious about Mario's uh, examples. <laughs> sure. I mean, Larian Studio Studios does 
really fantastic RPGs. They've got Divinity uh, Original Sins. Um, they have Baldur's Gate 3, obviously, now. So I think those are really good examples of multiplayer games. I would also argue that they're equally as enjoyable as single-player games as well, the way that you can just change the world around you. So those probably are exceptional in this in that sense. But other multiplayer games, uh, there really isn't a whole lot that I can think of. I mean, you've got elements of multiplayer in some games, such as Mountain Blade. Um, I know there's people who try to mod Skyrim um, to do multiplayer as well, and, and, and that looks really good. That looks awesome. So <laughs> kudos to all the, the, um, the modders who work so hard on making those those things possible for us regular players but yeah as uh, apart from those ones there i can't i can't really think of any multiplayer games that i've i've played recently that i've just thought wow that's that's really amazing or that's an amazing concept or or amazing story I, i think a lot of the multiplayer games tend to maybe lack in their story a bit and Interesting. I, I might, uh, I might be a little bit uh, contentious saying any bold, uh, Borderlands fans out there who I can't say that I really enjoy the uh, multiplayer in Borderlands a whole lot. I mean, I I didn't think the single player game as a single player game, I didn't think it was that great either. I, I don't know, just my personal preference. Multiplayer definitely can enhance a game's experience by a lot, but I think you need to have, for Western RPGs, uh, I would say you really need to have a strong single-player game basis um, before branching off into multiplayer games. I I would like to see more Western RPGs have strong um, multiplayer, especially split-screen. It's just so hard to find any uh split screen uh screen games let alone rpg split screens but yeah that's my thoughts on it so (laughs) well randy pitchford's gonna come and you know chop you up but it won't be a real chopping you up it's just gonna be like a magic trick where it's like a box and the anyway that's that (laughs) brendan gets that joke um i I was gonna i was gonna (laughs) ask oh is randy pitchford pitchford gonna come to you and give you a USB stick and just then walk off into the distance. Uh, industry humour. Uh, well, you know, we'll throw it at Brendan because I think, you know, what you didn't mention at all in that uh, in that uh, list of examples was MMOs. And obviously, Brendan, you have played a lot of WoW and presumably some other MMOs, but that's WoW's the one I mostly associate you with. How do you feel that fits into the Western RPG space and, do you think Mario's right? Is the story in WoW and other MMOs just not necessarily cutting it to to the more single player centric ones? I, I do. I largely agree with Mario, but I think there's two, I guess, <laughs> subgenres of Western RPGs, computer RPGs that do somewhat contest what he said to a degree. And I guess I, I will I will dive I'm into MMO RPGs, but there is also your I for lack of a I keep on saying lack of a better term, but your action RPGs and hack yeah. and slash RPGs. So experiences like Diablo, which are a bit more well gameplay focused and multiplayer has been at the heart of Diablo since or arguably the first game and particularly Diablo two with the early battle net and online systems Blizzard put together. That 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 show that there's a particular 
style of RPG that suits multiplayer gameplay. And I, I definitely agree with Mario that I think what's exciting about Valerian games like Original Sin and Boulder's Gate is that they do marry mechanics of RPGs to a multiplayer experience of work really well that traditionally I'd argue haven't really worked well in those spaces. Like I could have never really imagined a Dragon Age Origins being a multiplayer game. It's it's a single player experience and like it rightly should be a single player experience. And same with your Elder Scroll games, that there's particular elements that make them single player games. But to make a multiplayer RPG, I think it does have to have a bit more of a focus on the gameplay elements. It has has to be a bit more frenetic. So it does need to be a game like Diablo, which is a bit more about the combat, about gathering loot. It's why for some people Borders Land Borderlands really works for them as an RPG. I I personally agree with Mario. I've tr- I tried playing Bo- um, Borderlands two a number of times with a friend of mine who really loves the series. It's one of his favorites, but it just it's never particularly clicked for me personally. And then to go into MMORPGs, it is it's an interesting question because MMORPGs can often be broken into different categories within MMORPGs. So. There's some MMORPGs that people play for the PvP experience, the player versus player. So for those ones, story won't really matter as much as in the other styles because, yes, you do want, as we were talking about earlier, you still want some base motivation. You want some base conceit as to why you're doing what you're doing. And some MMORPGs that have PvP at the forefront of mind will be, oh, you, you need to become like, the best clan in the the best clan in the server or you your faction to be victorious over the other factions. So that's why you're investing time. That's why you're meeting people and regularly logging in to play the game. Other MMORPGs will be more focused around the PvE, the player versus experience. So those ones, narrative and story do matter quite a lot. There is a motivation for you to inhabit the world and experience different plot lines and storylines that are occurring in the world and for me personally that was my original attraction to world of warcraft that's why i played a lot of it because yes it was always that social aspect you always met people playing the game and you could have some enjoyable moments and experiences from a social element of the game but it was the world it was those plot lines it was those characters that were being built up that i found fascinating and compelling and for me, um, way I got to the point where a lot of that started, or in some ways it just went on for too long. They just, because ultimately one of the issues that MMORPGs have from a plot point is that everyone's experiencing the same stories, but when they're setting it up as like you're the hero that's saving the world, eventually that conceit starts to fall apart when it's like, well, there's hundreds upon hundreds of people that are doing the same thing that I am. So how can my character and experience be significant in any way and uh, a similar thing with MMORPG that very much had story first um, at the forefront every character was voice acted was going back to Bioware um, Old Republic which I played quite a bit of when it first went free to play in 2012 or 2011 2012 2013 and that that did story and narrative really well for an MMO almost on par to a single player RPG and in fact, as a free-to-play game, I effectively played it like a single-player RPG. I didn't really do any of the 
grouping. I did a few of the like the dungeons and instances and some of the group stuff, but it was mostly just my own like singular experience. And that's actually an interesting example there of one that very much was focusing on the story. And I don't know if it still does because I haven't touched that game for nearly over a decade, but I, I do know it's still going. So MMOs are an interesting beast in terms of there's different subgenres to cater to different types of players. And I think that sort of goes back to our early conversation of what makes a good RPG. It does come down to taste. And yes, some people will have poor taste, but it's not for us to judge that. <laughs> what about you, Zach? What are, you, what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say I've had a lot of experience with good multiplayer ones. I think Diablo is a really good example where that is a good multiplayer. And then, yeah, Baldur's Gate's probably a really good one at the moment. And then MMOs, you know, probably the MMOs I've spent the most time with are RuneScape, which I guess fits the bill uh, for a Western RPG in many ways. Uh, I think RuneScape's, like, for all the jokes about it, it's actually quite good as a free-to-play flash. I don't know how it is today, but back then I I think it's it, it held up quite well. And, again, it probably... I don't even know. I don't know if RuneScape had like a story. It had more like again, lots of little side stories. Maybe someone can tell me what the the whole goal of being in RuneScape world was. But I just remember like each side quest, like going and hunting a vampire and like going to the island and fishing for lobsters and that kind of stuff really stuck in my mind. And then uh, yeah, Guild Wars Two, which I think did story pretty well, honestly, while also having just the general MMO co-opness of it. So you could either, you know, bring people in to help you with your story quests or do the same story quest roughly together or or not. And obviously there were some branching paths, you know, which faction did you pick, which race are you, all that kind of thing. But yeah, I think Guild Wars 2 is, an East, is a reasonably good example, at least that core first, you know, base campaign uh, of a, a well-done MMO Western RPG, in, in my opinion. You know, it's not amazing. Like, it's not like... You're gonna. If I wrote the the story of Guild Wars two into a novel, it's not going to win any sort of awards. <laughs> uh, probably isn't going to get a movie adaptation uh, or anything like that. But I think it, yeah, it does. It's more around how I guess it allows people to jump in and out as you go through the story. Because I think some games struggle with that. Um, I think of something like Fable two, which I love, but. I don't know if either of you tried playing multiplayer or even played Fable 2, uh, but it was like a weird, like, people could play with you, but their character's temporary, and then it gets, like, basically, like, you know, bleeped out of existence when you turn the game off. And I think partly, maybe, again, that was limitations, though I think realistically it's also there was, like, this fear of, like, people spend so much time crafting their own world, crafting their story through the choices, as we discussed, do you want to let someone in and mess that up for you? It's like, you know, letting someone on your animal crossing Island and they run through all your flowers and you're like, Oh, my flowers. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's a bit like that. You know, do you want like someone coming in and really stuffing up the, the pre-established world you're trying to sort of create uh, and the narrative, which I think is maybe was a bit too cautious from a lot of people. I think they probably, uh, particularly, you know, when I think a lot of people were going to play with friends and there's a pre-established like, trust hopefully there but i think we've gotten past that and again that's why we're seeing so many more you know three four player uh rpgs come onto the onto the market and i think do it quite well and i think yeah you said mario larian's a a really prime example but 
again, all those other action RPG ones, um, like, you know, Diablo-esque, like your Torchlights or your, uh, uh, I want to say Path Exile. of Exile. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. I always get Path mm. of Exile and Pillars of Eternity mixed up because it's like P-O-E, like is the acronym. Uh, anyway, uh, but yeah, I think there's there's more and more. But yeah, that's my own thoughts and experience, I'd say. I, I think I have to agree with Brendan. I mean, he made a good point about the immersion into the game. If I'm, I've, and I've played a few MMOs, well, a couple, Guild Wars 2 and Path of Exile being amongst them and definitely that emotion is broken when i'm told i'm the hero of Vesterion or, or whatever the world is and i'm supposed to save everything but i see hundreds and hundreds of other players doing exactly the same thing as me i don't feel like it really sits to the my core in, in how i want to play the game or you know how i'm changing the world uh, it's almost meaningless whatever actions I take because other people are changing that world the same as me um, in their own instance. I think for MMOs, if we're talking about those, it's probably something that you would just play with friends because you want to play with friends and not for the story. I mean, even for Guild Wars 2, again, probably some people loved the game, but I didn't really get much out of the story. It was more the playing with friends and comparing weapons or armor and just trying to get through dungeons and and trying to defeat bosses that's the core elements of gameplay that i'm looking for in an mmo compared to i guess like a more traditional (laughs) a a different kind of uh western rpg experience when you're after story i just don't think it can be ever replicated in a good fashion if you're doing an mmo kind game It, it has to be on a smaller scale I haven't played Diablo 4 to really know what that's like. Maybe it does it well, but yeah, the the only other one that comes to get made uh, comes to mind is Baldur's Gate. Yes, I, I think the Baldur's Gate and well, Larian through Baldur's Gate and Divinity Original Sin 2 have really carved a niche out for themselves in that marrying that single player story focus to effectively interactive virtual D and D in terms of bringing in a group of friends and other players together to inhabit the same world, inhabit the same experience. And sure, there are there's pitfalls to that. And those the Larian games are very good. I think we all admit, we all admit to liking Baldur's Gate 3, but they aren't flawless experiences because there are, when you're playing multiplayer, there, things can happen where some players can trigger different story points, some players can dramatically change the outcome of a particular area or quest line without the input of the other players. And yes, Larian's done their best to try to minimize those moments and to try to more effectively avoid some of those things happening. But the reality of the fact is you can't. The way that game is designed and the way they design their games, is that's always going to be an element of it. And I know some people that that turns them off and they will only play those Larian games in single player. And I think the beauty of those games is that that is an option. You don't, you could play hundreds and hundreds of hours of Baldur's Gate 3 without ever playing around with the multiplayer element of it. It's, you're not missing out on anything if you do that. And I think that's, and it wouldn't work for every single RPG, but I think that's why the Larian model is very good and very compelling because you can do that. And that's, that, that's quite a special thing. Well, I think we've all spent a good amount of time talking about why we think certain, 
mechanics and things are key to making a good RPG or Western RPG, CRPG, is it time we now start like linking that to whether it's one favorite or a couple of favorites that we think really, you know, uh, yes. exhibit those features? <laughs> I think it is time, Zach. We'll let our guest Mario go first. Uh, sh- sure, okay. I mean, no surprise, uh, BG3, Baldsgate 3, is now on the top of my list of games. I, I did mention a couple of things that I, other ones that I liked. Uh, Dragon Age Origins being one of them. Mass Effect 2, I really enjoyed playing. You know, it came out quite a while ago, but it still had a few great elements. The gameplay was good. Also, you felt some of your choices did matter, especially towards the end game, depending on, you know, how well you built your ship up or if you sent certain characters to do certain missions that would also affect whether they survived or not. The Witcher 3, the way that the world is so open and there's just it's so dense with side quests and activity that that would have to be up there as well as one of my favorite games Uh, unfortunately i haven't gotten through skyrim (laughs) it's on my to-do list and i don't know if you would ever consider elden ring have you you finished well elden ring that's jrpg technically which is interesting Uh, yeah but like it, it does get close to western it's interesting yeah. debate with the dark soul elden rings games yes. um yeah yeah no vampire the masquerade thought that might have got a, an honorable mention no that that so you've hit a soft spot there for me i um i loved that game growing up i think it was probably one of the first western rpgs that i ever played and I've just been holding on to number two to come out. There's been so many delays on it. But yeah, I would definitely say that was one. Again, it's not something that I finished, but it's I have a nostalgia with that, with that one. <laughs> yeah. And the hours I've spent into Mountain Blade Warband, the original, is just insane <laughs> as well. Trying to get my build up my kingdom. Doesn't get me anywhere, but yeah. <laughs> so so there's, there's a few there, but I mean... We live in a time, I think, that there's so many good Western RPGs out there, so many good RPGs out there that you can spend a lot of time on and get a really good experience from. So, yeah, I recommend just giving all those ones a shot if you like Western RPGs, if you like story, gameplay mechanics, maybe aren't 100% in some of them, but the story you get is, uh, is worth it. What about you, what Brendan, about you a particular favourite? This is hard, and uh, I think I do, and some of my list will overlap with Mario, so I, I, yeah. can't, part, I can't go past Dragon Age Origins. Like, yeah. That's really the game that got me back into it as a genre because, as I mentioned earlier, the first one I played was Dungeon Siege, and I absolutely love Dungeon Siege. Dungeon Siege 2, not so much, but that original Dungeon Siege was a great game, but I haven't revisited for so long that I wouldn't necessarily say it's a favourite because I don't know how well it's held up. But you can't go past Dragon Age Origins because I think it hits all those points of the gameplay is really strong. It has some, it has that mix of the you can do it in a tactical turn-based manner, you can do it real-time, in, yep. in a real-time um, fashion. It's one of those games where it started to introduce some of the MMO elements in terms of how you activate abilities and the magic system and things like that and then you have that story and narrative design that 
really encourages you to replay the game. Um, different things will happen. And, and that's one of the few RPGs where the race you choose does change gameplay elements, well, gameplay elements and narrative elements. So it does matter and you'll get a different experience if you play as a, a wood elf or a city elf, if you play as a peasant or a noble. And, then, and some of those changes are and differences are quite, I guess, specific and quite minor, but it does feel like every playthrough is different and that's why that game really holds up for me. And then you go to more modern examples that, as I mentioned, I, even though I haven't fully finished it yet and I, I need to get back into it, I'd, I would list Cyberpunk 2077 as one of my favourite RPGs because, yes, it had a lot of issues at launch and enough issues that I halted my gameplay to wait for issues to be fixed, but the world they built and just... And, yes, there are some criticisms to be had about some of the hollowness of the world they built, but just from an aesthetic point of view, just from a technical standpoint... Again, not talking about the technicalities of it running as a game, but like the scale of it, of the the world they build, all the different things going on, and just how it feels to walk around and navigate that world. I think that that really stresses the importance of one strand of modern RPGs where the world matters. That you need to have this grand world alongside a grand narrative to explore. It's not enough to just have a grand narrative that's many in many ways constrained by hallways and pushing you towards a particular um well direction pushing you towards a particular end point that there are elements of that in cyberpunk because it, it does have a very strong uh overarching like main story more so than if you take this year's starfield which i haven't played yet i do want to ha- give starfield a go but from what i've seen from reviews and watching gameplays that that is another game along the lines of an Oblivion and Skyrim where the story is just part of the game. And yes, there's still you get things out of doing the story, but once you finish the story and you might be 60 hours in, that's sort of that's the start of the game. The world's just opened up now and you go off and do a whole manner and variety of different things and that's part of the gameplay. Whereas Cyberpunk takes elements of that, but then because, again, CD Projekt Red, The Witcher 1, 2 and 3, they have... They understand the importance of strong narrative and world building in their games, and that's present in Cyberpunk as well. So can't go past Cyberpunk. And then, um, as I mentioned earlier, Alpha Protocol will always have a close place in my heart, even though it's an absolute mess of a game. Uh, and you can't, I think due to licensing issues over the music and the like, you can't actually purchase that anymore on any online stores. So again, going back to our earlier episode on gaming preservation and digital preservation that's one of those games that is falling through the cracks but i'll always enjoy that as an rpg and then to bring up another one that's recent and the complete opposite spectrum of of cyberpunk 2077 would be pentiment that uh released last year Uh in november Mm -hmm. which whether you classify pentiment as an rpg or not is another oh i would because i think it's along the lines of a disco elysium where it the narrative and story is taking front of center that it doesn't have traditional RPG combat. Uh, It's much more of a point and click adventure game, but it still is couched in the other, I guess, gameplay tropes and elements of what makes an RPG an RPG that you're exploring a world, you're making dialogue choices and decisions that you're interacting with the world that the has been built by the game developers. And that's one that, the art style is fantastic. The music they went with is really strong and just 
the story and narrative is just such a compelling experience. And the other the other reason why I enjoy it is it's just so short. It's not that long of an experience. And it's because sometimes and often, well, not sometimes, I think the one of the stereotypes of RPGs is that they are these, re, like, like JRPGs, they are these 60, 70, 80, 100 hour plus experiences. You have to really dive in to get your teeth into them. Whereas Pentiment is on the other side of the spectrum in all manner of different ways of those grand RPGs and uh, gameplay time is a, is one of those aspects. And I guess just to drop in one final game example that I've always enjoyed and not, not sure if you classify it as a computer or Western RPG or whatever term we want to use, but uh, the original Banner Saga, I absolutely love. I still have not played two and three, but in, in some ways I have a lot of similarities to it kind of takes some Oregon Trail adventure gameplay tropes into it. but And then there's some more, I guess, JRPG turn-based elements in there as well to create Banner Saga. So I don't know if you have to categorize it where you would, where it would lay, but that's one that really has a really strong story. Your, your choices matter. A lot of different things can happen depending on how you twist and turn through the story, how successful you are in the, in the different battles and the like that you can lose an engagement, you can lose your um, you can lose your characters and units, but you can continue on. And I think that does some really interesting things as a as a role playing game. That I, I'd need to go in and fin- and actually finish the second game and then play the third game, which I've never touched. But that's always been one of my favorites. And how about yourself, Zach? Lucky last. Yeah, I don't have many to talk about, but I think what's good is the ones I'll talk about a lot. Well, only really. One I want to talk about is largely not been raised up uh, other than me mentioning it quickly. Um, so as I mentioned, I like theming and I like having a fun world to explore. And I'm quite a silly person. So it's probably not a shock <laughs> that my my favorite Western RPG series is Fable. And uh, what I if, also... Zach, if you plant a tree, the tree will still be there. Oh, uh, my tree. <laughs> I wonder if I would go back to my fable one save. Was my tree grown yet? Uh, but like what I what I uh, like about it is it's just that silly world. It's just British humor, the game, basically. Uh, and that's fun. You know, at face value, it's just another fantasy themed RPG. But I think just the characters and all the interactions you have are just so jolly. Uh, it, it just makes it fun to explore. I also like that it's very, at least Fable 2, which is probably my favorite of the three, it's very, like, digestible. It's not really long. You know, if you're, I I know that's kind of like an appeal for most people is these typically they're quite, you know, beefy games with hundreds of hours of, of gameplay for you. But I think as someone who tends to play more platformers and, you know, even visual novels, which are usually quite short, in comparison, uh, I appreciate these are they're, they're all three of them you can complete quite comfortably. Uh, while also, you know, there's still plenty of side quests you can do. But to me, that's why the theming is so important, and you know, it's why I'm actually I think really vibing with Baldur's Gate because there's quite a lot of silliness in Baldur's Gate as well. It's um, mm. it's heavier on the silly element than say. I find a lot of other ones where you know you're going to get your Kotaku articles a week after launch being like. Oh, here's the unicorn world in Diablo, and you know, here's like how you can collect all the cheese in Skyrim, you know, and that's quite <laughs> funny and silly. Um, but like those moments are a bit more fleeting in the majority of them, I'd say, versus 
you're like fables like a hundred not maybe not a hundred but like 80 percent silly during the game and Baldur's gate feels like it's it's just closer to that it's not it's not majority silly but it's a not a not it's where i feel comfortable where i'm like yes i'm enjoying the weird stuff that's happening here and that makes me laugh and giggle and i want more of that please in in these kinds of games <laughs> so are you looking forward to fable or they're rebooting the original is that right yeah i i i am looking forward to it i mean we haven't seen much but i mean first off uh you can't go past uh i'm gonna butcher the last name so i might lean on brendan to save me after this but richard is it Boyega? Is that how I say it? The guy from IT Crowd that's like also in pretty much everything else these days, including like Star Wars and stuff. Is that does that make sense? The surname starts with an A, but I can't I pronounce it either. I think it's Ayada. Is Ayada? Ayada. Yes. Something like that. Yeah. Sorry, Richard. Oh, Ayoda. Is it Ayoda? Ayoda. Ayoda. We got there. There we go. But yeah, um, the him in that trailer as the uh. I don't know if he's a giant or we're normal. Either way, he's quite humorous. And it comes back to my point that Fable is pretty much British humor, the RPG. Uh, so it's not a, it's, it's interesting to see him there. So yeah, I am looking forward to it. But coming back to what we're saying, the mechanics versus the story, a bit unclear what the mechanics are so far in the new Fable. Uh, and given it's from a studio that is very good at open worlds in, in the Forza Horizon games, but hasn't got any, you know, on the record chops with action RPGs. Uh, we'll be curious to see how they go. Um, notwithstanding, I'm sure there's plenty of staff members there that that do have credits in in action RPGs. Just when I mean, you look at God, what's it called? Play something. I should know this. The Forza Horizon Studio. I want to say it's Playground Play. Games. Playground. Yeah, I was like, I almost wanted to say like Play Dead, and I'm like, that's not right. it. That's that's somebody else. <laughs> they are based where I currently live in England, so I should go oh, and hit them up. Should go visit them, and also helps that I mean, to be fair, Lionhead was also um, obviously British, but uh, I think yeah, you need to have a British studio making a game like Fable. So yeah, I am very excited for that eventually coming out. But you know, as as you pointed out, Mario, I'm also keen to try ones I've missed, like Disco Elysium. I've said this before. I love detective stories and I love detective games like Hotel Dusk uh, and, you know, even like the, the detective bits of Heavy Rain, things like that. I just just really into, you know, um, Danganronpa, like those kinds of things I'm, I'm a big fan of. So Disco Elysium, I was listening to a different podcast because uh, I don't just actually listen to myself, <laughs> I listen to other people usually. Uh, and they were sort of explaining how it felt like in Disco Elysium, they tried to make like a really like they encourage you to be like a bit of a off the walls kind of guy and follow that RPG element. But if you want, you can also pretty much just play it as a straight detective game and be the straight laced cop who does all the, the the detecting and figuring out, you know, the mystery and who did what, which that I think is what's hooked me into. I need to play this game because because it sounds like my my kind of jam. I love a good uh yeah, mystery to solve. So I think I'll give that a whirl uh, and report back at some point. <laughs> what about you, Brendan? Any games that you're looking forward to? Ones that are coming up or ones that are on my backlog? Because that's a that's sort of two entirely different <laughs> propositions here. Let's say so, ones coming up that you that you want to see released tomorrow, if possible. That's hard because I actually. I must say, I haven't really been particularly following upcoming games that closely. Well, I have, but for me, and again, being genre-specific and looking at 
computer Western RPGs. Most of the big ones have hit it this year or last year. Like we had Cyberpunk, we've had Starfield now, we've had Baldur's Gate 3. So like all these big, big 100-hour-plus games have already hit. So yes, there's other games coming up. Like I'm keen to see how Avowed from Obsidian turns out. As I keep on mentioning uh, Alpha Protocol, I have a I have a deep respect for Obsidian and a lot of the, well, I mentioned Pentiment as well. I think they are fantastic developers. So I think it, it will be at, at the very base level, it will be a very enjoyable game. So I'm keen for Avowed. And yes, it, it very much goes in that first person Elder Scrolls um, perspective of a game. So I'm interested to see how they, how, what direction they go with that in a much smaller scale than a, than a um oblivion or skyrim or starfield because the the reality of the situation is obsidian is not going to develop a starfield they don't have the resources or development team to do that but nonetheless i, I have no doubt they'll make a compelling experience uh, i'm keen to see what cd project red does now that cyberpunk's finished uh, witcher 4 would be fantastic whatever form that takes because i'm i've no doubt they'll return to the witcher and that that's probably more down the road sometime. Um, I think they've uh they put out their like 10 year roadmap and there's like three Witcher games and like two Cyberpunk games so I think you're you're set. <laughs> yes, yeah. but but like that that's not going to be something that hits next year. That's going to be no, down no, the no, track. No. Yeah. So I'm excited for that and then well whatever I would not necessarily say I'm excited anymore but I'm I'm interested to see what Dragon Age Dreadwolf is it called I believe. I believe so. It was something yeah. Wolf. Yeah. Yeah. I'm interested to see how that what what form that end up ends up taking when it actually is revealed or if it still exists or what's actually yeah. going on in that space. I think cuz like BioWare the reality hasn't particularly made critically acclaimed games for a long time now, but you you, you never really know. Like they, they could pull one out of the park. Yeah, cuz it's not only that. They've got like Mass Effect will return trailer out there like they're working on well working on but like yes apparently both of those franchises are coming back which we have seen basically nothing of either of them because i guess they they worked on inquisition and andromeda sort of side by side and they came out not that far apart from one another Mm. so it it does make sense that both are in the works because i think they well they have multiple teams but given how andromeda and well inquisition i know people have really enjoyed inquisition and i think yeah that had different issues regarding being cross-generation development and trying to target both 360 and or Xbox One PS4, which created difficulties in the development, among other issues. So you never know. Like, both the next Mass Effect and Dragon Age could be the best RPGs ever. I'm probably, honestly, personally, not that hopeful of that being the outcome, but you, you, you never know. So I'm, I'm interested to see how that goes, and really, I'm... I'm interested, I'm always interested and eager to see what comes out of the indie spaces, what comes out of things like Disco Elysium, which came out of nowhere and was enjoy- well, shocked and awed everyone. Same thing, yes, I know Larian's been around for two decades, but they did a similar thing when Divinity Original Sin 2 released. I, I backed the Kickstarter because I, I, can't, I knew of their reputation and had dabbled with some of the original um, Divinity games, but they were very much an unknown quantity before original sin 2 came out so and then actually one i'm keen for that comes out um towards the end of this year is the um oh i'm blanking on what the um because there's so many different uh sub franchises of it but the the warhammer crpg that's coming out 
um, from the developers of the Pathfinder games? That's a question I don't have the answer um, to because there are there was literally like a Warhammer like direct with how many Warhammer games are coming out. Uh, <laughs> yes, it's not um oh it's not it's not um not Necromunda. Uh, what's the other? There's a sub franchise of 40k and that's it's in that. Um, oh, um, this is gonna really frustrate me now. <laughs> but yes, it's from the same developers that did Pathfinder, um, Kingmaker, and Wrath of the Righteous, and it looks it looks quite promising. And so I, I'm keen to see that game. I'm going to guess it's Warhammer 40k Rogue Trader. Yes, Rogue Trader. Rogue Trader. That's it. Yes. Thank you. Good. Thank you, Wikipedia, for defining the genres between the three Baldur's uh, Warhammer games this year, one being a retro FPS, one being an RPG, and the other being a third-person hack and slash. I'll yes, let you guess which are which. <laughs> well, I can tell you because the, the um, retro FPS slash boomer shooter was uh, Warhammer 40k Bolt Gun. Then you yeah. have warhammer 40k uh rogue trader which is the crpg and then the hack and slash would be i assume space marine 2 correct you win all the jeopardy points um <laughs> i think given what that, that developer did with the pathfinder games i think that that might impress a lot of people that game when it comes out who knows it might like in some ways sometimes adding those i guess big franchises to games can be a can hamstring them but one of the beauties of the Warhammer franchise at the moment is it seems that they give it to everyone. So <laughs> it's sort of quality can vary, but at the same time, you can kind of, if you have it, you can kind of do whatever you want with it. So you can, you actually do get some interesting and enjoyable experiences out of it in mm. 2023. Well, enough for there to be a Warhammer direct that people care about. So <laughs> what, yep. what a time to be alive, Zach. <laughs> yep. Uh, and yeah, Mario, what about you in a post, you know, post Baldur's Gate, post uh, Diablo 4, post uh, Starfield world? What's sort of on your horizon uh, other than, I guess, maybe getting to a few of those in your backlog? Yeah, I mean, I used to really be invested in Bethesda games. Something changed for me along the way. I, I'm not sure entirely what it was. I think it was maybe the latest Fallout or, or definitely seeing, you know, the recent reviews for Starfield coming out has put me off uh, them a little bit. I'm just not sure the direction of the studio, but I have to say I am in love with Larian Studios um, at the moment and CD Projekt Red. I can't wait to see the next games they come out for The Witcher and, and for Cyberpunk as mentioned. And just, you know, whatever Larian throws on the table, I'll be uh, keeping a close eye on. Fable, I've been... I've been following it for a while actually just to see any updates and news and you know we had the trailer that came out recently but before that there was not much and I know there's some uh, issues with the development so I hope that gets sorted and we can see that coming out soon and then of course well I mentioned Vampire uh, the Masquerade Bloodlines 2 so you know the original came out what almost 20 years ago I think so yeah. um yeah <laughs> same day as steam release so imagine that wow yeah wow. there you go so i hope that they release that soon as well I, I really like to see it and i just think that a lot of the indie slash smaller studios what's come what comes out now i think that a lot of the maybe bigger studios and i'm, I'm looking probably more about uh, at bethesda they're relying on their older IPs and just kind of recycling a lot of the gameplay that, that and uh, sort of story that they've already built over the years. 
so I know um, the Elder Scrolls Six should be probably coming out in the next few years. But again, you, you in- never know with Bethesda. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that's right. <laughs> but yes, so I, I'm not too hopeful on those big studio releases. I think it's definitely worth watching it, the small ones um, to see what they uh, come up with. Yeah, that also plays into one of my hopes. I'm kind of hoping to see, you know, similar to Disco Elysium, more variety in style, but also like, yeah, more digestible RPGs. Give me more, you know, 20 hour ones, not hundreds of hours. Uh, And I think that's where the indie space can really hopefully achieve that. Because I do think you can make a compelling RPG that doesn't need to run that long. Like, yes, that's just how they've always been, but... I think you absolutely can make shorter, more digestible RPGs that are as impactful as, um, again, you know, your Baldur's Gates. Uh, so keen personally to see more of that as a as a time poor human being. <laughs> yeah, that's right. More, more a quality rich world as opposed to a vast empty one. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think before we finish up this episode, I, I think in sort of, I guess. We might have answered some of these questions with talking about the RPGs that we're looking forward to in the next one, two, three plus years. But what direction do we see the genre going into? And I guess what direction do we want the genre to go into? I guess what do we see as opportunities that the genre has and what do we think it can do differently or just continue doing what it's been doing in a better way or whether there's new different technologies that are coming into vogue that we think RPGs can harness. I know, well, you can play Skyrim in VR these days with a VR headset and there's some opportunities like that. So how do we all feel about the future of the genre? Let's start with you, Zach. Yeah, I think it's got a bright future. I do think um, my only concerns are, again, we see a lot of people chasing the the hotness, um, again, which right now is Baldur's Gate. And while I don't think it hurts to have more competition, I just... I kind of hate where everyone just like follows follows the leader and and doesn't try and come up with originality. Uh, so I do hope we don't see too much of that. We'll definitely see some, but I hope it's not the prevailing like theme of oh, how do we make a Baldur's Gate style game? I don't know. Let's just put dice icons in our in our game. That's what people like because I don't think that's the lesson to be learnt from that game. <laughs> but yeah, uh, I think. Yeah, I just hope we see more variety. Uh, and as you said, I think it'll be interesting to see where and how VR plays. I don't think VR is at a point where it could justify the the budget of a game that will last hundreds of hours yet. Uh, I, I know, as you mentioned, Skyrim has a VR version, but I think it's different like taking something like Skyrim and morphing it to VR versus making a core VR purpose-built game that also is a traditional western rpg i think that i think we just need more units out there before that's viable and i think there's probably also questions of like health sitting there or even walking around but with a headset on for many many hours because it's certainly a factor to these games you tend to play them in a bit of a bingy way right particularly at the the start you're like yeah this you know stay up all night and (laughs) play through them so i think there's be interesting to see how they tackle it but i think yeah vr and again hopefully some smaller more diverse things from indies who who don't have the budget to do the big stuff will be where what I want to hope hopefully see. 
Uh, and again, Disco Elysium, I think, hopefully is the the one they look to to how to uh, achieve that. Mario, how about yourself? Yeah, I think for a time there was potentially a, a you know a, a decline in the quality of games. Yeah, I would say it's going to pick up. I, I think for anyone who's a little bit pessimistic, I think we're going to see a real change in the gaming industry over the you know the next decade, especially with the uh, technologies, chat GBT, that can create code from nothing. It's going to help a lot of developers. Oh, sax, not, not too Con- sure. Contentious statement. That's contentious a very statement. contentious. <laughs> yeah. I, I could be very ignorant about the topic, but I'm... Let's, let's, I'm let's, I'll, all I'll say is it's not making code from nothing. It is pulling inspiration from code written by other humans. So let's just, <laughs> yes. like, not, not, yeah. <laughs> True. True, you're right. Someone out there has put the work and hard effort in and a program is picking up all that like coding, I guess, and people are able to use that. In the long, like overall though, I think that maybe for those people who've put the initial work in, it's probably not great. It seems like their work is undermined. But, you know, for your small studio or for your one or two person, upcoming you know like what's called developer india indie studio that's a big advantage and i think it's great because there's probably so many people out there with fantastic ideas for games that just don't have the budget um or don't have the means to be able to create those games and and i really i like to see them being released i want to play i want to play your ideas i want to experience your stories what craziness you have so and I think there's a lot of people out there who also feel the same way. I think it's going to be a real change for the industry. I think it, it might be a bit slow at the start where, as people grapple with the idea of the ethics around it. But overall, I think we're going to find the quality of games really starts to increase. And, and I hope that puts pressure on the big developers as well to sort of realize we can't just turn out the same game in a different skin. We have to put a bit more originality into our thoughts and think of different mechanics or, or, or more engaging stories. Continuing on from Mario's point, I, I do wonder, and again, a topic for a completely different episode, but I do wonder what short-term effects what's happening with Unity will have on RPG development, particularly in the indie space, because, of course, they'll... A lot of indie developers will now have to retool, look for different game engines to develop their games in. So we might see a bit of a time lag or a bit of a reorientation of some of those smaller indie efforts. So, But the reality is I, I have no doubt that indie developers will still be pounding away and you'll get a mix of, I guess, revivals of older styles of RPGs. You'll get some innovation towards new strands of RPGs like your Disco Elysiums, that innovation and sort of retro revivals are always sort of the two aspects I see happening in the indie space in most genres. And I think that's always quite uh, exciting to see how that all mashes together and what outcomes you get from that. I think it's interesting to reflect on the last 10 years and look at what's going to happen in the next 10 years. Because if you go back to a decade ago, that's the period we had lack of a better term, again, the phrase I use, but uh, tell me if there's a better term, listeners, and I'll start adopting that. But uh, (laughs) you had the 
revival of CRPGs with Kickstarter, but due to Kickstarter and the Kickstarter boom of that 2011, 2012, 2013 period, you had your Pillars of Eternity, you had your Wasteland 2 and 3, you had Planescape Torment revival um, that In Exile developed. You had all these games coming out due to Kickstarter, due to fan demand. And and I'd argue that if it wasn't for that, and well, as I mentioned, Divinity Original Sin 2 was also a Kickstarter game, but yes, they had some outsider and internal backing and financing as well. But if it wasn't for that boom, that we wouldn't have got Baldur's Gate 3, that it's due to that critical, I guess, mass and clear indicator that there was a player base for that style of game, that you've had the, as we record in, October 2023, that Baldur's Gate 3 is arguably the pinnacle of that particular subgenre of RPGs. That there's not really anything else that comes close to it. And I know, Zach, you and I talked about the discourse surrounding it from the indie space and developer space about whether it's fair to compare one's games towards Baldur's Gate 3. But the reality is that is the new sort of, not even, I wouldn't say it's a new benchmark, but that's sort of the new sort of pinnacle of like what the, the gold genre standard can be. Or something, it's, yeah. Exactly. It's it's a gold standard, and it's good to strive towards a gold standard, but at the same time, gamers and consumers recognise that not everything's going to hit that gold standard. But I, I do see that I think the direction that the genre will go, at least in the short term, is that we are going to have more experiences like Baldur's Gate 3 because, well, developers and publishers see that's where there's money to be made there for better or worse that we'll get we'll get more isometric games like that and and I think Pathfinder's already shown the way that the two Pathfinder games arguably came on the heels of Divinity Original Sin 1 and 2 so it's building as a subgenre so that's that's exciting to see at the same time so I definitely think the future of the genre will be and it always will be there'll be strands that follow what's successful so the reality is trying to ape Baldur's Gate 3 will be easier to do from a resource and finance point of view than trying to ape a Starfield or um, Cyberpunk 2077 because the reality of the fact is it's it's not as it's not going to be as difficult to make a isometric role playing game as it is to make a open world first person game with all the different uh, design elements and resources that go into making a world that scales. So I, I think that we will get more. We'll get a lot more isometric games. We'll have RPG studios keep on making those big scale RPGs, particularly now that it seems that all of them but Bioware are owned by Microsoft. So Microsoft <laughs> will have be churning out games from In Exile, from Bethesda, from Obsidian. So we'll see those games come out as long as they don't get cut down to so- sizes um, through Microsoft studio cuts and the like. So we'll have to cross our fingers that that doesn't happen to them. But So I think we're going to have the great engines of the RPG state churning out these experiences. We'll have the indies churning out experiences and there'll be some developers in the middle that will continue making games as well. So I think I'd argue that since the late 90s, early 2000s, it's never been a better time to be a fan of this genre that it's just there's a wealth of different releases, there's a wealth of different subgenres and there's a lot of, I guess, the player base and the fans have made it clear that there's a market. So developers and publishers are um, catering to the market. So I think we're going to have a lot more games to talk about in the future, and that's never a bad thing, is it? Absolutely. Well, sure. All right, Zach, unless you have any fun, unless you or Mario have any final thoughts, I'll um, I'll pass it over to you to start wrapping up the episode. Uh, yeah, thanks, Brendan. Uh, I don't really have any other final thoughts. I think we covered everything off very well. 
so yeah, who are we? Where can you find us? You probably know it, but just to be sure, uh, we are blowing cartridges. You can find us at blowcartpod on X and you know the site formerly known as Twitter. As fun little thing, I was on the Pokemon website today, and they have a link to X, and they say X, and then in brackets, formerly known as Twitter. So interesting to see that's how the Pokemon company is approaching it. I'll, I'll continue that same approach myself, I think, but also on Facebook. Or you can email us at blowingcartridge at gmail.com. If you want to reach out to me at Egarino on X and Brendan, you are at Tamazoid on X. Mario, thank you for coming. Uh, again, I, you're, you you proved me right. You listed off so many games I have not touched uh, and <laughs> uh, I had no experience with. So you're a great asset to have on. And, uh, you know, first off, you know, your your choice, as, you know, this this podcast is, a, is an RPG. Do you want to be found? If you want to be found, how do people find you? If you don't want to be found, uh, that's fine too. <laughs> oh, I guess if people want to, find me um my handle on steam slash discord is tamstar so feel free to dm me or whatever you want oh dangerous <laughs> living <laughs> life and yeah like you're sort of like a, a dabbling content creator may or may not continue to pursue that but if not you know thank you for joining us anyway <laughs> no problem thank you so much for having me it was a pleasure you're the closest thing we'll get to the other Mario that wears a red hat. So I think it's been an absolute pleasure for us to have you on, Mario. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Hopefully I live up to my namesake. But yes, until next time, thank you all for joining us. Uh, you know, go play Baldur's Gate 3, which we're not sponsored by, but we may as well be, given how much we uh, we mentioned not, it. And uh, Not yet. Not yet. Not yet. partnership not yet. with Larian is in the works. <laughs> well, <laughs> fingers crossed. Yeah, enjoy some gaming and... Catch you next time. Bye-bye.